0: Well, good morning, Oakwood family. Welcome to part three of a series that we started on Easter called Scandals. And just to run you back just a little bit on Easter, we talked about the scandal, the greatest scandal of Easter is not, did Jesus really die and did he really raise again? Probably the biggest scandal is grace, right? I mean, hard to understand, and and people just, you know, it's hard to accept sometimes, but God loves us so much, He extends us grace through Jesus Christ. Then last week, we uh, were in the book of 2 Samuel, which we're going to be there today. If you have your Bible and you want to turn there, if you want to follow along um, in the app with us, but we're going to be in 2 Samuel again today. And last week, we talked about David, David and Goliath, David, King David, David and Bathsheba, David. We actually talked about that last week and the story of Bathsheba and all that entails there. as we're going through this series on scandals, we're actually looking at different Bible stories in the Bible that I think uh, would steal the headlines. That if you went out and you picked up your Sunday morning paper, you would actually see there on the front page of the paper some of these scandals. If you opened your app on your phone and you're, you're going through the news feed, that, that these titles and these headlines would pop up and you'd be like, wow. And this is sensational. This is something that you don't hear about every day. This is something that's way out there. This is something that is completely wrong. I can't believe this is happening. And this stuff is all over Scripture because we are very broken people because of the sinfulness in our life. And so as we're going through this series, let's remember we're allowing the Bible to change our perspective on life. To show us characteristics and and, and things about God that we haven't maybe considered before but also to build our faith in God and for to allow him to speak into our lives, to show us how to live. So that we can honor him in all ways. And so today we're going to continue and we're going to kind of leave off where we, uh, where we ended last week. We're still going to be in 2 Samuel. We're just going to kind of go into this next section, into the next story in 2 Samuel. Now, if you wanted the headline today, if you wanted to go grab your newspaper and this would be the headline. This is what it would read uh, for today's story. Son revolts against father and dies a hair-raising death. Now, if you know your Bible, you may know what story we're talking about. And if not, you may be, hmm, well, just follow along and you'll understand why it gets that title just here in a few minutes. Today, we're gonna be looking at a Bible character that may not be known to everyone. His name is Absalom. Absalom is actually a son of King David. And Absalom comes after Bathsheba. But there's a little backstory here that you need to understand about Absalom. You see, David had not followed God's uh, will, what he intended. You know, in the garden, it was Adam and Eve, not Adam and Eve's, plural. But David had followed what many had followed into uh, this lifestyle of polygamy. And so he had many wives. And so that makes some interesting family dynamics. You know, it's got, we all got the same father and it's King David, but There's several different wives, and all those wives have different children, and so it's interesting how that family dynamic plays out um, in the life of David's kingdom and in of his family. And to understand a little bit about Absalom and what gets us to chapter 15, that's where we're going to be uh, today is 2 Samuel chapter 15, we need to understand what's happened. So we left off last week with uh, Nathan the prophet, and if you remember right, what he had done is he had rebuked David, and, and he had told him, you are the man, you are the one that has sinned, and, and David owns his stuff, and, and he repents of his sin. And, and it's interesting because Nathan says, hey, God has taken away your sin, but then he ends with this. He says, "But there will be." calamity in your house for a long time to come and as we get that from the prophet nathan we begin to see in what happens next because right there in the next chapter we get the story of amnon and tamar amnon is another brother it's another son of david Amnon's mother is not the same as Absalom's mother. And so these guys are half-brothers, but we find out that Absalom, he has a sister named Tamar. And Tamar is a young virgin, she's beautiful, and scripture just tells us just how great Tamar is. Well, there's this story that happens right there in chapter 13. Amnon, well let's just read it for the first, first couple of verses here in 13, one and two. It says this In the course of time, Amnon, a son of David, fell in love with Tamar, the beautiful sister of Absalom, son of David. And so he fell in love with his half sister. Again, same dad, but different mother. Amnon became so obsessed with his sister Tamar that he made himself ill. If you read on in the rest of the story in 13 and even into 14, we find out that his servant, because, you know, he's the king's son, and so he's got a servant that's, you know, waiting on him and helping him. Him and his servant devise this plan to lure Tamar and get her by by herself in his room, and he plays sick, and she plays nursemaid to him, and when he gets her alone, and the opportunistic time is right, he rapes her. It says that he was stronger than she was, and that he raped his half-sister well, that is Absalom's full-blooded sister, and you can imagine there's a lot of feelings that happen there. And, and, and what, we don't, what what I haven't said about Absalom yet is Absalom, uh, we, we read about this in chapters 13 and 14. Uh, Absalom is, is a really good-looking guy. The scripture actually says that Absalom is without blemish. From, it says from the top of his head to the bottom of his feet that he was without blemish, okay? He just looked perfect. Beyond that, he had this deal with hair, okay? He, he grew his hair out, and he would only cut it once a year. And when he would cut it once a year, it was because it was bothering him because it was so heavy. They said in the scripture that when they cut his hair once a year, uh, they had so much hair that it weighed 20 shekels. Okay, so it weighed like two pounds. And you may say, well, two pounds isn't that much hair. Folks, two pounds is a lot of hair. <laughs> I, I got some hair in my family because I have some daughters. I could shave one of their heads bald. They got some big hair. And I'm telling you what, they ain't going to get close to two pounds. I mean, this guy had a lot of hair. And he would, only, he would only shave once a year, so he's this guy without blemish, you know. He's the king's son. He's got all this stuff going for him. Uh, he looks perfect in form. He's, he's strong, and he's young, and he's got the, the, the big hair going on. And, and it's this guy who is really, really angry because of what Amnon, his half-brother, has done to his sister, Tamar. And we find as we read in chapters 13 and 14 that David David... didn't didn't really do much about it. And because of that, Absalom killed Amnon. He devised a plan and took his brother's life. After that time, Absalom goes on a run. He gets away. He doesn't really know what's going to happen. What's his dad going to do to him? And after some time, he returns back to Jerusalem. And... That's where we kind of pick up the story in chapter 15, where we're going to read the text this morning. What's happened is Absalom has returned to Jerusalem, actually not because he wanted to, but at David's request, at his dad's request. He has come back to uh, Jerusalem, and, and, and he is there. And his dad had called him back, but he had not seen his dad yet. He think about, talk about awkward family circumstances. He had been in Jerusalem for two years, but had not seen his dad, King David, yet. And I think it's just eating at him. He knows he's murdered his brother. He knows that uh, the scripture tells us that David mourned the loss of Amnon. He knows he knows everything that's going on. And he decides, you know what, I'm going to go see my father. I just want to throw myself on his mercy, whatever he wants to do to me. And in fact, it says that if, if, if dad wants to kill me and take my life, I'm okay with that. I just can't go on like this any longer. And so then we get to chapter... Uh, Fifteen of 2 Samuel. Actually, I'm going to go back up one verse. The last verse of chapter 14 says this. It says, then the king, that's King David, summoned Absalom, his son, and he came in and he bowed down with his face to the ground before the king, and the king kissed Absalom. It's the first time they've encountered since he killed his brother. He'd been running for years. You read that and you're kind of like, well, that's kind of weird and a little bit awkward. It's not like you killed my son Amnon, you know. But if you read and you, and you study and you understand what most scholars believe is this was David's way of restoring Absalom. This was King David's way of saying, you know what, we're not going to address the issue at hand, but I forgive you. You are welcome back into the palace. You are still my son, Absalom. And he shows him that through giving him the king's favor with a kiss. And then we get to The text for today, 2 Samuel chapter 15, says this In the course of time, Absalom provided himself with a chariot and horses and with 50 men to run ahead of him. Now just remember that verse later. It's going to come up later. He would get up early and he would stand by the side of the road leading to the city gate. And whenever anyone would come with a complaint to be placed before the king, because he's the absolute ruler in the kingdom. When they would bring a complaint to, to come to the king for a decision, Absalom would call out to them, what town are you from? And he would answer, your servant is from one of the tribes of Israel. Then Absalom, Absalom would say to him, look, your claims are valid and proper, but there is no representative of the king to hear you. And Absalom would add to that, if only I were appointed judge in the land, then everyone who has a complaint or a case could come to me and I would see that they receive justice because he's such a good guy. Also, whenever anyone approached him to bow down before him, because they would bow down before him because they knew, hey, this is the king's son. He's royalty. When they would bow down before him, Absalom would reach out his hand, take hold of him, and kiss him. Absalom behaved in this way toward all of the Israelites who came to the king asking for justice, and so he stole the hearts of the people of Israel. As they left, they would go, do you remember King David's son, Absalom, at the city gate? What a wonderful guy. I mean, he was so nice. He not only settled our affairs that we were going to the king with, the king didn't have time and wasn't really paying attention. And he, he only did that, but he embraced me. He even gave me a holy kiss. What a, what a wonderful guy. Now, are you already scratching your head thinking, what is he trying to do here? Well, hang on, there's more. Verse 7. At the end of four years of doing this, Absalom said to the king, let me go to Hebron and fulfill a vow I made to the Lord. While your servant was living at Geshur in Aram, I made this vow. If the Lord takes me back to Jerusalem, I will worship the Lord in Hebron. Now, what's interesting is he's been in Jerusalem for a few years, but now all of a sudden he remembers this vow. and Oh yeah, I need to go to, to Hebron. The king said to him, that's King David, his dad, says, go in peace. And so he went to Hebron. When Absalom sent secret messengers throughout the tribes of Israel to say, As soon as you hear the sound of the trumpets, then say, Absalom is king in Hebron. Two hundred men from Jerusalem had accompanied Absalom. They had been invited as guests and went quite innocently, knowing nothing about the matter. While Absalom was offering sacrifices, he also sent for Ahithophel, the Gilonite, David's counselor. So notice here who this guy is. Ahithophel, which is a great name for a baby. If you have a baby coming up, Ahithophel, great name. Okay. Ahithophel the Gileanite, David's counselor, someone who's really close to David, one of David's advisors, one of the inner circle, part of David's cabinet. He sends for him to come to Gilo, his hometown. And so the conspiracy gained strength and Absalom's following kept on increasing. Hmm, what might Absalom be doing here? Verse 13. A messenger came and told David, The hearts of the people of Israel are now with Absalom. And then David said to all his officials who were with him in Jerusalem, Come, we must flee, or none of us will escape from Absalom. We must leave immediately, or he will move quickly to overtake us and bring ruin on us and put the city to the sword. And so there wouldn't be a bloodbath. In the palace or there in Jerusalem, so David finds himself on the run again. Several lessons that we can learn from this passage today. There are several lessons that we need to learn from the scandal today. The first one is this there are many pitfalls to passive leadership. There are many pitfalls to passive leadership. If you are a husband or a father this morning, I wanna encourage you to listen for the next couple of minutes. I'll be talking more to you than anyone else in the room. Let me explain what I mean by this. David becomes passive in leading his family in all areas, spiritually, emotionally, Mentally, relationally, his leadership is absent. He becomes totally passive in leading his family and leading his kingdom, and it has many negative effects. And sometimes I wonder if we think that in action and waiting to see how situations will, quote-unquote, work themselves out, right? Because they, they work themselves out. We don't have anything to do. They just works themselves out. If we just wait to see how things work themselves out. Doesn't that inaction speak louder than words? Because even if you take inaction, guys, you're sending a message. You're communicating through your inaction. And it's passive. And sometimes we do that and we wanna take the easy way. You can look at several things from David's life and see the passivity growing. Multiple wives, and then now multiple children from multiple wives. He seems to be loosening his standards, and since the Bathsheba incident just a few chapters ago, it may reflect his walk with the Lord. And then here in chapter 15, in verses 4 through 6, we read about Absalom and his posturing there. He's posturing, trying to gain influence, right? I mean, it says, if you read there, it says that early in the morning he would go to the city gate and he would be there all day and he did it for four years. Why would you do that? Why would you get up early every morning and go sit by the city gate and deal with the Israelites and all of their arguments and all of their controversy and stuff? He was doing it for a dark and sinister purpose. And David did nothing. David's the king. David knew exactly what was going on. He has all of his advisors. He's got security at the city gates with Absalom. And he takes no action. But this has become a pattern in David's life. Do you remember this, what we we began with this morning, that Amnon lured Absalom's sister Tamarian and raped her? Listen to this. This is in chapter 13, verse 21 of 2 Samuel Listen to what it says about David's reaction when he hears the news and he learns about that. It says, when King David heard of all this, he was furious, period. That's all it says. He was furious, man, that's not right. That's horrible, look what happened within my family. This, this is horrible, this is, and he did nothing. Scripture tells us that he did nothing. He didn't go to Amnon and say, hey, you shouldn't have done that. He didn't go to Absalom and try to comfort him about his sister Tamar. And and this leads to Absalom killing Amnon. This passive leadership. The lesson here for us is to not be passive people. To just think that things will work themselves out. To quit avoiding the issues and just hoping and praying that they'll just go away. No, we are called to be a people that are active in our leadership. And as you see King David, be passive here, and be passive with Absalom. When we read the rest of the story in just a few minutes, you're gonna see how it affects many lives. There are many pitfalls to passive leadership. And so many times today, I think that we, especially men in our homes, sit back passively And don't lead our families, our workplaces, our companies, or even our country very well. The second lesson we need to learn today is we need to address our issues head on with courage and strength from the Lord. We need to address issues head on with courage and strength from the Lord. Or else, most of the time, things will continue to spiral down. And get more and more out of hand. Most of situations like this that happen in life need leadership that is not passive. And we need to have the courage to stand up and do the right thing. And to use the courage and strength we get from the Lord to address the issues that are ahead of us. Now I'm talking on two levels here. I'm talking personally in our life. Just as a Christian, as a believer in Jesus Christ, we need to address the issues of our life. When we look in the mirror and we see our sinfulness and we see ungodly behavior and we see that our our mind is not moving God's direction at all, we're not doing God's will for our life, and we know by reading the scripture, we know we're not doing what God wants us to do. To that point, we need to address the issues at hand with courage and strength from the Lord. So it's a personal level. But the second thing is that it's at It's at a level with other people. It's personal and it's also about others. That sometimes we are called by God to intervene in others' lives. And that when we see issues at hand with others that might affect us, that might affect our workplace, that might affect our government, that might affect the world, that might affect our church, that we are called by God to deal with those issues head on with courage and strength from the Lord. In Ephesians chapter 4 verse 15 from the New Testament, it says this, It says, instead of being passive, instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. Did you catch that? We will speak the truth in love, but we will speak the truth. We won't passively sit on the side and just kind of let them, let them do their thing, I mean, how many times maybe do you have regrets because that's exactly what you did? You saw somebody going astray. You saw the, the, the flaw in their decision-making. You saw the sinfulness in their life. And you said and you did nothing. Oh, you were a good Christian, right? You just said a prayer. I'll pray for them, but I won't say anything. And you watch their life implode. And you passively sit by. And I'm not saying don't pray, and I'm not saying there isn't power in prayer. I've seen some people just praying God do amazing things. But sometimes, even while we're praying, we're called to do something. We're called to take action. What's it talking about here? Speaking the truth and love to someone. Why? It says that we will grow. It's going to grow them up. It's going to mature them. into every respect, the mature body of him, who is the head, that is Christ. It's even talking about Christians in God's church. Speaking the truth love in love and showing each other where we're getting off course and not leading with passivity but with courage and strength from the lord doing the right thing doing what god has called us to do another scripture passage that i was reminded of is from the book of james if you ever read the book of james in chapter 5 right at the very end of the book this is how that book ends it says this in verses 19 and 20 of chapter 5 in the book of james my brothers and sisters if one of you should wonder from the truth there it is again the truth if one of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring that person back, remember this, whoever turns a sinner from the air of their ways will save them from death and cover over a multitude of sins. But we have to talk. We have to take action. We have to address our issues head on with courage and strength from the Lord. And I wonder how many lives Would be better if a Christian would have helped them deal with the issues? If they had spoken the truth in love and helped them get out of their situation? How many people come to your mind right now that maybe you regret, I should have said something and I didn't, and it was way back here, and now fast forward 15 years, and because of my passivity, because I didn't do what God had called me to do, Here's the end result. Now the good news is that God can still redeem and God is still mightily at work in people's lives. And even if they've been astray for 15 years, God can still do miraculous things. If David can be a man after God's own heart, anyone can come back to the Lord and live their life for him and become someone after God's own heart. But we've got to quit being passive. Third thing this morning this one's really simple and easy. I think everybody just nod their head. Yeah. Always be wise about people who try to manipulate situations for personal gain. <laughs> yeah, no one's gonna be like, oh yeah, that's so controversial, or I don't understand. I mean, you know exactly what we're talking about. They move themselves into these situations to try to manipulate circumstances and situations for personal gain. Absalom's posturing and his manipulation. At the city gate was the beginning of a power grab from his dad. I mean, the first six verses in, you can already tell what's about to happen. And verse 7 and beyond, we read there in chapter 15, we just see it play out in its entirety. Even if Absalom's motivation was frustration with his father, King David's passive leadership, because he didn't deal with Amnon, so I had to deal with Amnon, and I took matters into my own hands. Even if that was the reason Absalom did that and murdered Amnon, it's still not okay. And it's still not okay that David didn't say anything, and all we get from scripture is he was furious about it and he did nothing. It's still not okay that Absalom sat at the city gates while David did nothing for four years, winning the hearts of Israel. Well, let's continue and see what happens next. We're gonna skip a couple of chapters just for the sake of time this morning. So if you're in 2 Samuel 15, turn over to chapter 18. In chapter 18, we're gonna pick up the story there in verse four. And let me just fill you in what's happened. The battle is there now. The line has been drawn. Absalom has won much of Israel to himself and they're gonna fight a battle and they're gonna take over Jerusalem and they're gonna take over King David. And they, they, and David says, "You know what? I'm not taking the war here in Jerusalem. I'm taking the war out to Absalom." And so he talks to his, his advisors, and there's all this dialogue back and forth about what, what's going to happen. And David says, "You know what? I'm going to go out there myself, and I'm going to be fighting amongst you." He says that to his commanders in his army, and the commanders in the army is like, "Hey." You need to stay back. We need you alive. We don't know what's going to happen here. Absalom has mighty strength here. He's got a lot of people following him. They're very loyal to him. They they actually say to David, you're like 10,000 of us. So stay back. And then we pick up verse 4, and it says this. The king answered, I will do whatever seems best to you. And he's talking to his military advisors and his counselors there. And so the king stood beside the gate while his men marched out in units of hundreds and of thousands going to war. The king commanded Joab. Now let's pause there for a minute. Do you remember Joab from last week? Joab showed up at the very beginning of last week. Do you remember how we started the story last week? It said in the spring, the time of the year when kings go off to war, King David stayed behind and hung out at the palace. And he sent Joab, to go fight the battles. See, Joab was the warrior. Joab was his right-hand guy. Joab was the guy that would go execute all of the king's orders. Same guy that we're reading about right here in verse five. And so the king commanded Joab, that guy, Abishai and Etiai, be gentle with the young man, Absalom, for my sake. In other words, I don't want you to kill Absalom. He is still my son. For my sake, be gentle with him, bring him back to me alive. And all the troops heard the king giving orders concerning Absalom to each of the commanders in the army. Verse 6, David's army marched out of the city to fight Israel, and the battle took place in the forest of Ephraim. There, Israel's troops were routed by David's men, and the casualties that day were great. 20,000 men lost their lives. The battle spread out over the whole countryside and the forest swallowed up more men that day than the sword. In other words, you know, they were running into trees. They were drowning in the swamp. They were, I mean, just, you know, the wild animals were killing them. They were, I mean, just bad things were happening there in the forest. Verse 9. Now Absalom happened to meet David's men. He was riding his mule, and as the mule went under a thick branch, the thick branches of a large oak tree, Absalom's hair got caught in the tree. You remember? He's a really good-looking guy, really strong, no blemishes. He's got perfect hair. He only cuts it once a year. It weighs a lot. He's got this thick hair. And yeah, so he goes under the tree, and Absalom's hair got caught in the tree. He was left hanging in midair while the mule he was riding kept on going. Okay, so picture that, like Beverly Hillbillies, you know. He's caught up in the tree, his hair, he's hanging by his hair, and the mule keeps going, and this big hair guy, yeah. Verse 10, when one of the men saw what had happened, he told Joab, I just saw Absalom hanging in the oak tree. And Joab said to the man who had told him this, what, you saw him? Why didn't you strike him to the ground right there? Then I would have had to give you 10 shekels of silver and a warrior's belt, But the man replied, even if a thousand shekels were weighed out into my hands, I would not lay a hand on the king's son. In our hearing, the king commanded you and Abishai and Ittai, protect the young man Absalom for my sake. And if I had put my life in jeopardy and nothing is hidden from the king, I mean, he knows everything, you would have kept your distance from me. And Joab said, I'm not going to wait like this for you. And so he took three javelins in his hand and he plunged them into Absalom's heart while Absalom was still alive, hanging in the oak tree. And 10 of Joab's armor bearers surrounded Absalom, struck him and killed him. And then Joab sounded the trumpet and the troops stopped pursuing Israel for Joab halted them. They took Absalom, they threw him into a big pit in the forest, and they piled up a large heap of rocks over him. Meanwhile, all of the Israelites fled to their homes. The battle is won, and it's over. Verse 18, during his lifetime, Absalom had taken a pillar and erected it in the king's valley as a monument to himself, for he thought, I have no son to carry on the memory of my name. He named the pillar after himself, And it is called Absalom's Monument to this day. That's how the son revolts against the father and dies a hair-raising death, if you hadn't put that together yet. (laughs) There's a couple more things I think we can learn as we read the rest of the story. Pride and arrogance often accompany a great fall. Folks, let's be honest here. When we're not willing to look at our stuff, and isn't it amazing sometimes how we can look at everyone else's stuff? <laughs> I mean, we can tell you what's wrong with everybody, <laughs> but we can't tell you what's wrong with ourselves. And it's pride. And it's arrogance. And we get comfortable. And we get smug. And we get feeling pretty good about ourselves and we don't want to look at our stuff or we don't want to deal with our stuff we don't want with courage and strength from the Lord to deal with the issues that we have that are our issues We don't want to deal with that. And so we often struggle and we we project our issues onto other people because we can, you know, blame them and we can see our issues in other people, but we just can't see it in ourselves. And it becomes our plight. And you read this and you read that last verse and you're thinking for Absalom, who erects a monument to themselves, right? (laughs) And notice where he did it. He did it in the King's Valley, right under the nose of King David. He, he erects this monument to himself. He names it after himself, so that everyone will remember how great and wonderful Absalom was. And you read stuff like that and you think, do people, do people ever learn? And I wonder, did David ever learn? Did, did, did David ever learn? Like he was passive in his leadership, and we see it play out in chapter 13 with Amnon and Tamar, and he's passive about Absalom posturing in chapter 15 when he's trying to win the hearts of the Israelites to him. You can see more passive leadership in the chapters following, and I got curious about that, and I said, you know what, I want to read to the end of a story so you have to get out of 2 Samuel, and if you just go a few chapters over, the next, is, the next book is 1 Kings. And if you turn over to 1 Kings chapter 1, it says that David is old. It's time to elect a new king. The time for that came to be appointed. And I just want to read this text to you. 1 Kings 1, 5, and 6 says this. Now Adoniah, whose mother was Haggith, put himself forward and said, I will be king. So he got chariots and horses ready with 50 men to run ahead of him. You ever heard that before? His father, who's his father? King David. His father had never rebuked him by asking, why do you behave as you do? He was also very handsome and was born next after Absalom. David may have never learned. He never had the courage and the strength. He never tapped into that courage and strength from the Lord to deal with the circumstances. And that's what's interesting about 1 Kings 1, 5, and 6. Is Notice it says, His father never rebuked him by asking, Why do you behave as you do? It's in parentheses. It's like a sidebar. Like, hey, David never dealt with it well if you know the rest of the story there adonia is not going to be king no david calls bathsheba into the court and says our son solomon you've heard of king solomon king solomon will follow me on the throne and solomon will be king sometimes i feel like we never learn The last thing I want us to consider as a lesson this morning is this. Satan will do whatever he can to promote disunity, to draw more people away from God. I think this is one of the devil's greatest tools. It's his playground. He loves loves him some drama. He loves discord and fighting and disunity. And disunity almost always has that effect to draw people away from God, to draw people away from each other and to get people in conflict. He loves to disunify a family. He loves to disunify a business. He loves to sow disunity into a country, people taking sides. Satan loves this stuff and I think it's one of his best tools in his arsenal. He can just get disunity stirred up amongst friends and family and government and church. Maybe he can stir up disunity from even Jesus Christ himself. This is the story of David. His own household. Nathan had warned us and told him, your house is gonna be full of calamity. David never, never dealt with what he needed to deal with. And it's because of that passivity and leadership, it brought disunity into the kingdom and a plethora of problems.